guys. Happy Father's Day. Good to see you all here, everybody joining us online. Um, Jonathan Coleman, uh, one of the pastors here on staff in Anderson Hills, and uh, I just want to welcome each and every uh, one of you. So we're in week three of our series on uh, nine personality types. Uh, we're trying to discover how God uh, has uniquely designed us for special purposes and how we can grow deeper in love with God and with each other and understand each other. And we're using this tool called the Enneagram. And so today we are looking at number three, the achiever. Um, threes are successful, oriented, image conscience, super competitive, hardwired for productivity, optimistic, hardworking, big dreamers to inspire everyone and rally people around them to achieve pretty awesome goals. If you want someone to do something the best possible way, the most efficient way, and with the greatest impact, you want a three on your team. If you want a state championship in your sport, there's a three probably leading you. Threes will accomplish more. They will work harder than anyone else. They need to win at whatever they are doing, and they're driven by goals that they set. You'll find the achiever very optimistic about everything because they're confident that they can do anything. And so some of the threes out there are Oprah and Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Taylor Swift. Jeff Spambauer, uh, he's our lia uh, lay, uh, liaison for the men of Anderson Hills. He's a three. And he asked me one day, he texted me, and he asked me what my number was, and I told him, and he said, we are a good match to do some good things for the kingdom. He says, You'll have, you have ideas, and I can make it happen. And so he's a doer, and I truly look up to Jeff. I, I want him to stay in that role uh, because he just sharpens me, and he's an amazing dude. He knows his purpose, and he lives it out in the light and love of Christ. He's got a sweet ride. He's got a really cool Tesla, too, that I, I totally dig. Uh, but threes, when they're unhealthy, they not only struggle with knowing who they are, they, they can find themselves driven to overachieve, driven to do more and to do it better. And too often, they find themselves at the office too long or hard, hard working, pushing, driving. They find failure unacceptable. They can't stand mistakes. And they may get to the point where they're desperate for that attention. And they could be pretty petty or mean or even vengeful when they are unhealthy. And the sin they struggle with the most is deceit. Deceiving others, but more so deceiving themselves. And they lose touch with who they are authentically. And they find they lose their identity with a false self that they have created. And so, a healthy three, when their life is surrendered to Jesus Christ, they allow God to begin to transform their heart and their mind and their soul. And they have nothing to prove because they're secure in Him. Secure in God's grace. They're amazing. They no longer have to flaunt their, their success or sell you a line. They're no longer terrified of failure. They learn from that, and they, they actually come alongside people and show them some of the failures and mistakes that they made and show people how to really learn from those mistakes. 
They help organizations be more effective, and they set goals, and they challenge themselves to solve problems in very positive ways. And they no longer believe that 80-hour weeks are the standard. And so they learn how to balance that energy between work and rest, and they feel valued based on who they are rather than on what they accomplish. Let's watch a video of, of two uh, threes that are on our staff, Melissa and Ron. Let's check this out. So an adjective often associated with the type number three achiever is competitive. How does that fit you? Well, I'm a volleyball coach, so I'm already competitive. That's kind of my, my gig is being competitive. But <clears throat> I've always been very competitive and to the point where if I'm not good at something, I don't do it because I wouldn't be very competitive at doing it. So I don't... I skied once, I was terrible at it, and I've never done it again because I just can't compete being a skier. I can't be the best. What is your deepest fear? I think failure is a big part of it for me because failure equates to not being a success and therefore then impacts upon your competency. No one wants to have the, the loser around. This society is designed for winners, not losers. And threes really take it to heart and make that a part of their, their competence and uh, their competition, their competitiveness. What is your greatest need? I guess just that people think that I have value. What I do is I have value because I'm able to do what I do excellently. Um, I think it goes back to acceptance, but also organization, because no matter what we do, uh, success depon it depends upon a plan, and if you don't have that plan, then you're not going to be successful. So you have to have that plan to be a success, and then if you're a success, then you're liked. So organization is all a part of having that plan that will step its way towards acceptance and, and organization. How does your type play out in your relationship with Christ? I think for me, I know a lot of scripture and that's kind of a type three thing, knowing a lot and being ready and prepared and having the plan that Ron has talked about. Um, but I think sometimes that you, I kind of get focused on the making sure I know enough and not on just being accepted and valued for who I am as opposed to knowing enough or doing enough for uh, the kingdom. Yeah, like so many things, like, like Melissa said, and going back to that plan, that once I've decided I want to do something, I set a plan, and it becomes so much deeply embedded in who I am and what I'm doing that, that um, I, I keep honing that plan towards my goal towards being a success at that plan and as long as my plan is Christ driven then I know I'm on the right track what I have to be cautious of is having it become a works type of thing then all of a sudden I'm doing it for the wrong reason and it it can happen it's it's a downfall to a number three 
love working with Melissa and Ron. Um, they are so effective in what they do. Um, they want to see things done with excellence. And um, you wouldn't believe what Melissa does in the background to make worship amazing. It gets me a little teary-eyed. She's dri- driven to make this happen. And she's, she's so detailed in that. And it, it helps me to want to be better at what I do. And I know with Ron Zemitis, if, if I want to get some type of job done, I'll go to Ron. <laughs> I have this cubicle with the sliding door, and I bought it because I just wanted a little more privacy in my cubicle, and it kind of sat there, and I'm like, I want to get this hung, but I know I wouldn't read the directions, and I would pull it out, and parts would be anywhere, and it'd be just a total failure. Well, I asked Ron to put it up, and next day I walked in, it's up. It's hanging perfectly, it's balanced and everything, and they're, they're just so equipped to help us in, in making the kingdom of God spread and transform lives, and, and they do that in a wonderful way. And I know I can, I can drive Melissa and Ron crazy because I always want to play and have fun and stuff, and they want to go, all right, Jonathan, let's see, focused here, man. And they just are a great addition, and they help me really achieve my goals as the pastor of communication and uh, ministry development, new ministry development. So today we want to look at an achiever in the Bible, and his name is Jacob. The story of Jacob is really a story of the amazing transformation of a type 3. It began with the day he was born. Let's hear this story. It's in Genesis 25, beginning with verse 24, and you can follow along there with me. When the time came for her to give birth, there were two twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was, was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Jacob replied, Well, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank and got up and left. You see, Jacob is is, is the twin born of Isaac and Rebekah. And his twin, mo- twin brother, Esau, uh, comes out of the womb. He's so hairy, they, they, red hair, they call him that, Esau. And it r- literally does mean hairy. When Jacob comes out right behind him, he's holding on to his brother's heel. You can already see this competitiveness that Jacob has. And so they name him Jacob, which literally means deceiver. Well, that's a great name, eh? <laughs> You know, in the background there. Esau is first born, and therefore he's entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. But even more important, he'll receive the blessing of the covenant promise of God made to Abraham. But from the day they're born, Jacob wants to take that position. 
from his brother. And so the boys were so different. Esau loved the outdoors. He would be gone all day hunting, enjoying the freedom found in nature. He could come in with the smell of nature on him. He's the kind of guy with maybe if today he would have the gun rack in the back of his truck. And you knew he'd come home with a bag full of game and maybe a buck strapped to the fender of that sucker. Now, Jacob preferred the indoors. He was a homebody. He enjoyed the finer things in life. He was the kind of guy that would be maybe at his computer looking at the stock market, day trading, and he would enjoy the finer things, cooking, fine wine, all the above. And so we see the differences in these two, even though they're twins. And Jacob was his mother's, Rebecca's favorite, and Esau was his dad's favorite. So one day Esau comes in from hunt, hunting, and you heard it, he's famished. He's, he, 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 Jacob fixed his pot, pot of stew, and Esau wants some, and Jacob's like, hey, man, yeah, I'll give you some of this, and, but you've got to give me your birthright. And so you see, Jacob's doing this, this scheming. Esau's so famished that his, his stomach becomes his priority. He's like hangry. And so he sells his birthright for a pot of stew. And so years pass. Isaac is growing old, and he's nearly blind, and he fears he's near death, and so he wants to uh, give the blessing to Esau. And so he asks Esau to prepare his favorite wild game meal, and then Isaac will give his blessing to Esau. Isaac heads out for the day hunting, or uh, sorry, um, Esau heads out for the day hunting, but overhearing uh, this, this thing going on is Rebecca, and so she's hatching this real de- deceptive scheme with Jacob to cheat Esau out of the blessing. So she cooks this great meal, dresses Jacob up in Esau's clothing, straps skins to his arms so it feels like Esau. Jacob takes the meal in, tells him that he is Esau. Father can't see. It's like it sounds like Jacob. It smells and feels like Esau. And so he gives him the blessing of the firstborn son. So when Esau returns, he discovers Jacob's deception. He's beside himself twice, twice. Jacob has deceived Esau. So Esau wants to kill Jacob. So Rebekah overhears Esau's plan and sends Jacob to uh, her uh, brother Laban in Padam Aram to seek a wife. And this is far away. He's on the run. He's leaving his home, his family, his relationships. You see the consequences of his deception. And, and Jacob felt like he lost out all the time on that birthright. But he dece- deceives to gain it. As a result, you see that he goes out into the world frustrated that life is not going his way the way he believes it should. His very name denotes his character. Someone who struggles to get into the way, the, get, get the way he wants them, deception. And so the blessing is his and he runs. But in the background of, of all the deception is God working. God desiring Jacob to become all he created to be. God wants covenant with Jacob in order to transform his life. And God won't stop pursuing Jacob. Like Jacob, many times I think we 
we all tend to run the opposite direction of what God wants to do with us spiritually in transforming our heart and our mind and our soul. God desires to work in us. And that's exactly what he wants to do in Jacob. And so he runs right into God at a place called Luz. It says, at nightfall that Jacob makes camp, he falls asleep under this open sky. He puts his head on his pillow and he begins to dream. And in the dream, he sees this stairway resting on earth and with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending, he sees the Lord and hears God say this, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants, and your descendants shall be like dust of the earth. I will be with you. You see, God is renewing a covenant promise that he gave to Abraham, and he gave to Isaac, and now he wants to give to Jacob. And Jacob meets God there for the very first time, and he renames Luz Bethel, which means house of God, and makes a vow that the, that the Lord shall be his God. And he takes that first step toward spiritual transformation, out of being a deceiver into beginning to live into the reality of what God wants him to live into. So with the assurance, Jacob arrives, arrives at his uncle Laban's house. He marries two daughters, his two daughters, Leah and Rachel. He settles down, he begins to raise his family, work the farm with Laban. And, and you, but you see in this relationship, as you read the scriptures, Laban and Jacob, there's just deception going on in the background. Jacob may have met God at Bethel, but it seems like he still doesn't know what it means to live in that reality of his purpose. And he's like a three still in process. He just doesn't seem to know what defines him. He hasn't found his true self. That's the core question, I think, is what defines me? What defines me? Why? been defined by my family, by my relationships, where I live, or how successful I am? Jacob struggles with this core question. Jacob is a man who really has to have it all, and all is still not enough. And he can't seem to find out who he is. He, seemed to be, he seems to be constantly struggling with things and material to have more power, more influence, more livestock, more brides. He, he, no wonder Jacob is really, really at the core just trying to earn everything, especially his father's love. And finally, Jacob, his relationship with his father-in-law comes to crisis point. He has to leave in the middle of the night and flee. But he's too slow. He's got his children and all of his possessions. Laban catches up to him, but thanks be to God, he doesn't kill him. But no sooner does Jacob get out of the crisis with Laban, he hears the news his brother Esau's coming after him with 400 men. And he assumes the worst. Esau is making good on his promise to kill Jacob. And so Jacob thinks he can make this peace offering with Esau with all of these livestock, goats, sheep, cows, camels, donkeys. And he sends all these gifts ahead of him across the Jacob screen, stream. No, Jabak. Jabak. <laughs> and, and here's Jacob spending the night on the other side of the water. That night is a pretty powerful 
moment in Jacob's life. He wrestles with some uh, unidentified being, an angel. It's not clear who it was. And they wrestle all night. It's a powerful story. And Jacob, the achiever, has to win. Therefore, at, at daybreak, this divine being strikes Jacob in the hip and knocks his hip bone out of place, his socket out of joint. And Jacob still won't surrender. He doesn't want to lose that wrestling competition. And as the first light of the morning appears, this man, divine being, says, you've got to let me go. And Jacob's like, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then this being says, what's your name? Jacob tells him, Jacob. Simply stating his name. And Jacob summarizes the events of the night. His name indicates someone who will struggle and strive to get his own way. That was his identity. That was in his character as a deceiver. And so the opponent gives him a new name. He says, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. You know, one biblical scholar says that by giving him a new name, he really gives Jacob his identity. He speaks truth into him. He speaks a new set of values, a new affirmation on who he really is in God. And these are healing words for Jacob. He's no longer a deceiver. He gives Jacob what he needs most, a new identity. Jacob's new name signified new self new self. And this name means God strives. One who strives with God. But striving with God left that mark, and he probably had a limp for the rest of his life, a reminder of that wrestling match that occurred that night. And see, folks, conducting business with God and being confronted with the truth about who we really are, really will deeply change us from the inside out. We will not continue to be the person that we have been before. When we discover that and we find that truth in Christ, our world view, our identity becomes different. Jacob gets this new identity, only at a great physical cost, though. And he'll limp around the rest of his life, but it'll remind him who he is now. You see, we are people who are desperately in need to receive blessings of new identity and new value systems, and they can't be simply bestowed upon us by human beings, by anything also that we can earn or be driven by. Who can change us on a deep, fundamental level? Who will stay with us when we fight like Jacob did? God alone can give us our new selves, our true selves, and we can have reminders of that in our encounters with him as we walk this spiritual life with him in partnership with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, God sees a healthy achiever find comfort because he or she, who they are in Christ, is all they need. That's it, in him. They are alive in him, found in him true in him and nothing else they don't have to earn it no that's it their identity is in fact that god loves them unconditionally even when struggles and failures happen in life 
Let's look at this really incredible scripture as Jacob prepares to meet Esau. He says, I have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For you see, your face is like seeing the face of God now that you receive me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. You see this pretty poignant moment in Jacob's existence. This is grace, man. This is Jacob on the road to a really healthy three. No longer competing with his brother, no longer deceiving, but generous, but grateful. Putting his relationship with his brother over his wealth and possessions. He doesn't need to be number one. And so you see this this road of grace that he understands. My buddy Jim Stauffer, he's a pastor up in Upper Sandusky, and I I remember a line he would say a, a lot. He would say, you know, People want to be the first, fast, and the famous. Well, Jesus is looking for the least, last, and the lost. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just, that's an understanding that we have to get into our lives, especially if you're a three. So how do threes join on this road toward healing and grace? I want to give you some things. Find time each day just practicing being in the presence of God. Breathing in the truth of it's not about what I do, God, and breathing that in breathing out I just rest in you meditate on God's word threes value action just sit and be in him take a vacation and don't take work with you leave the office in the rear view mirror practice blessing others and meeting their needs to where only the Lord knows what you're doing serve anonymously Make sure you don't have to earn that love. Begin crafting a new definition of success for your life that honors God. And you can know that you can be materially successful and still honor God and know that you have enough. Jacob was still a very wealthy man, but he had a new set of priorities. We just saw that in Scripture. Don't fear failure. Let failure and mistakes lead to discovery And then teach those folks around you that you're equipping about how you learn from those mistakes and failures. Finally, invest in people in helping them to shine and be successful and be patient with them. You see, though Jacob was transformed, there was still struggle and wrestling. And that's the heart of that uh, transformation. And know that the God who changed Jacob is the God that can change us. And this transformation begins, I think, when we know that we don't have to earn God's love. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from your own doing. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. My friends, God loves you unconditionally. No conditions, no strings attached. God loves you. You don't have to merit it. You don't have to do, do, do to earn it. 
It's there. His love is powerful, is supreme, it is wonderful, and it can abide in you. Simply you being you. And he sees beyond, he sees beyond what, what you can do in him and through him in the amazing ways in which that grace can operate and transform lives around you. So abide in that. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, um, we thank you for this series that we're doing where we can utilize this tool. And God, I, I thank you for the threes in my life, and I know we all can. We thank you for their leadership. We thank you that we can follow them and as a team in your kingdom and be people making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Lord, just pour in all of us this truth of your unconditional love, your grace, that we don't have to earn. It's there. And it's all because of what you have done for us through the ministry of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So as we finish out.